Um, let's turn together to 1 Samuel <clears throat> chapter 20. And uh, if you were here last week, you know that we uh, considered the friendship between Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. And this is part two of that message. Good friendships are such a gift from God. They really are. They are such a gift from God and something to be treasured. But good friendships don't just happen. They take work. They take patience. They take unselfishness, forgiveness. Um, it's, it's easy, in a sense, to burn through friendships. <clears throat> but to maintain long-term friendships, um, there, is, there is work there. There is grace there. There is um, character that's needed there. And so we have David and Jonathan give us this wonderful example of friendship in the Bible. And last week we saw that two points. Their friendship was built on character and common faith in God. And secondly, their friendship was built on strong loyalty. So uh, this morning I have two more points that I want to draw. And this is coming from chapter 20 and also 23. The first point I want to share, and we'll get to the scripture um, is this, Jonathan shoots straight with David, even when it was hard for him to do that. Jonathan shoots straight with David, even when it was hard for him to do that. Let's pray, and then let's jump right in. Father, thank you so much for this morning, this beautiful weekend, and this day. And Father, we just pray that you will bless this time under your word, that it will speak to our hearts, it will encourage us uh, stir us, and Lord, that you will do a fresh work in our hearts concerning this whole arena, this whole area of friendship. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're not going to read all of chapter 20, but uh, what's happening here is David comes to Jonathan, and he says, why does your father want to kill me? Why is he out to kill me? What have I done? And Jonathan says, no, 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 my father, yeah, he had this, you know, see, Saul had this evil spirit. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He was somewhat deranged at times. And so I think what Jonathan thinks is he had this spirit where he was trying to kill you, but that's all good now. He's good because the last words Jonathan has heard from his father is, I swear by the Lord that he will live. I will kill him. So Jonathan thinks, no, he's all better now. And if he wanted to kill you, he would tell me. I'm his son. He has not said anything. And David says, no, you know why he's not telling you? Because he knows you favor me. And if he tells you, you may warn me and you'll be against me. So they devise a plan to figure out who's, who's right and who's wrong. There's a feast coming up. And David says, here's what we're going to do. You go and if your father asks, where am I? Tell him that I, I beg to be with my family during this feast. If he says, okay, that's good, then we know that all is good. But if he gets angry, then we know he intended to do me harm at this feast. And so that's exactly what happens. They also devise a secret code that... Whatever the answer is, Jonathan would go out with his little arrow boy and he would shoot arrows. And then if the arrow, if, if, if it was safe for David to come, he would say, the arrow is on this side of me, come closer. 
But if it was not safe for David, he would say, the arrow has gone further. He would send the boy further. Go away. It's further. And so that's their secret code. So on the second day of the feast, as expected, Saul asked Jonathan, where's David? He should be here. Jonathan tells his father that David asked to be with his family for the feast. And here's what happened, beginning in verse 30. Listen to what happens. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Now just remember, a couple verses ago he said, I swear by the Lord he shall surely not die. Now we've got a couple chapters later, he will surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why? Should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I have always found it a bit strange that they came up with this rather elaborate messaging system with shooting arrows only to then immediately meet face to face and talk it through. I mean, it, it seems a little strange, but I think the answer must surely be that Jonathan did not know if he would have the opportunity to talk to David. He didn't know if he would be followed because he knew his father was observing him. And for a warrior then, shooting arrows was something they would often do to go and just keep up their aim. But he didn't know if somebody would say, well, I'll come with you. Or somebody would follow him secretly. 
And so this was his way of getting the message across to David. It is or it isn't safe to come. It happens that he was not followed. And then they did have the opportunity to get together face to face. And we have this very touching moment with um, them weeping because they know this is, this is like the end of their being able to just be together. I want to make a bit of a metaphor out of those arrows. The arrows that Jonathan shot carried a message that he didn't want to send and he and David didn't want to hear. This was not anything they wanted to, 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 to hear or to say. If the arrows are on this side of the rock, if the arrows are nearer to me, then David, life can return to normal. You can come and eat with, by our side and we can spend time together. But if the arrows are further beyond, then our time together is over. Your life will change forever. And then it means, as it says in verse 22, the Lord, David, is sending you away. And David's life will never be the same again. It means God's will is going in a direction neither of them want. Neither of them would, sit, would want this direction. You know, in our relationships with each other, sometimes we have the great blessing of shooting arrows the arrows of messages that are what we want to say and what they want to hear. Sometimes we have that blessing. God's message is easy to give. But there are times when friendships require shooting arrows that we don't want to shoot and our friend doesn't want to hear. I'm talking about speaking words of truth. And friendship means we shoot straight with those we care about. And we want our friends to shoot straight with us, even when it's not what we want to hear. Years ago, uh, Janice and I were with our friends Jeff and Rachel Perry, and we were talking about some things. And they mentioned a situation they were in where somebody was playing mind games with them. And, uh, and in the course of our conversation, Jeff just happened to say, I hate mind games. And we were all like, yeah, we hate mind games. You know what mind games are? Mind games are when you, you don't say what you mean. You, you, you just kind of like go around it or you find these like weird ways of sending one message while saying another thing. Manipulation is a mind game. When you manipulate, you know, somebody to do what you want them to do guilting somebody no 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 don't do it I, i'll do it i mean i always do it and you never do it and i know you don't love me and but it's okay it's okay well, i'll do it you're guilting it's mind games let's just say could you do that please just suit straight but mind games kind of goes around it um some people withdraw emotionally what's wrong Nothing. Well, we haven't talked in three weeks. Nothing's wrong. You see, what, what is that? No, something is wrong. Just say, you know what's wrong? I'm upset. See, that's shooting straight. I'm upset because when you said this, I took it this way. 
But the nothing's wrong. Withdrawing emotionally, that's a way of, that's a mind game. It's, it's, you're wanting them to get the message, you don't want to say it. Because you want them to get the message in a way that affects them emotionally to your advantage. Mind games keeps you guessing. What's going on here? Friends shoot straight. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Think about that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of a of an enemy. The thing that seems to hurt actually heals. The thing that seems to express comfort kills. If we want people to only shoot the arrows we want to hear, we're going to be vulnerable to deception. We're going to hang with people that's, that create an echo chamber and yes us, but don't necessarily really care about us. We're going to be vulnerable to flattery. You know what flattery is? It's shooting arrows people want to hear. But they don't mean them. They're shooting what you want to hear so that you do something they want you to do or feel something they want you to feel. They're buttering you up. It is the opposite of care. It is the opposite of friendship. It is the opposite of love. It is using. And so deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. But faithful, because faithful friends shoot straight. Now, I could spend an entire message because, you know, sometimes, and I've been guilty of this way too many times, that we can, okay, I'm going to shoot straight. All right, Bill, can I see you after service? Because I'm going to shoot straight with you. You know, we can, we can shoot arrows, including arrows of truth, in a way that just wounds people and not in a helpful way. So I could spend an entire message on the importance of speaking truth with grace, with humility, with love, with kindness. You know, kindness just kind of, Kindness just makes things easier to receive, doesn't it? Amen? When somebody says, hey, you didn't do that, or you're doing this, or they come with kindness and say, hey, I noticed you didn't, are you, are you okay? Is there anything, you know, can we talk? Is, is, I really, you know, thank you for all the times you have done it. I know you missed this time. Just kindness so I could do an entire message on that. Truth can, truth can be a weapon of destruction. Satan can speak truth and destroy souls with it. So if we don't aim at gracious, uplifting words, then shooting straight can be a destructive thing. But when we want the best, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, when we, when we aim with gracious words, uplifting words, encouraging words, sometimes hard-to-hear words, truth, shooting straight, is such an important part of friendship. The Lord was sending David away. He would live the next several years of his life as a fugitive, running for his life. 
So they wept painful tears. But through the tears, they knew this was God's providence. This was God's will for them. And they trusted God, and they trusted his providence over them, even when it took them to a place they did not want to go. Jonathan says, this is what we said between each other. So this isn't just Jonathan. This is what they said to each other in verse 42. The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. That's trusting God. The Lord is between us. He is the bond that keeps us. And he will be the bond between our offspring forever. So that's the first point, is that truth shoots straight. Friendship shoots straight, even when it's not what people want to hear. The last point I want to share is that Jonathan is sacrificially unselfish in his friendship. I want us to jump to chapter 23. This is their last meeting together. uh, David goes on the run. David and his men are running for his life. He's a fugitive. He's going from town to town. We'll talk about some of the crazy things David does during that time. But in chapter 23, Jonathan's able to catch up with David for a brief time. And beginning in verse 15, it says, "David David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, listen to this, and strengthened his hand in God. Verse 17, and he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. Listen to this. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. This is the first recorded time that Jonathan says what they both know is true. Jonathan will not be the next king. Now understand, his father is king. The rightful heir, you would think, would be him. But he knows God has put his hand on David, and God is surely going to make David the king. And Jonathan is okay with that. He's, Saul's not. Saul's not. Saul wants to kill David, but Jonathan is okay with that. He's like, David, I will be right next to you. You will be king because that's what God is doing. This is such an example of a man who's not jealous of David. He doesn't resent David. He supports him. He encourages him, and he strengthens his hand in God. He says, I'm going to cheer you on every step of the way. This is, David is at a low point. He's hiding. He's, you know, he's been in caves. He's acted mad. He's done all these things. He's at a low point. And Jonathan comes along and says, and strengthens his hand in God, encourages him. Even, even though it go, went against his own interests in a natural way. And I think we learn in this that good friendships are unselfish, sometimes sacrificially so. 
Jesus said, there is no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, meaning the highest expression of love and friendship is on selfish sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this. So I want to talk about that for a moment because friendship needs to be a two-way street of unselfishness. It needs to be a two-way street of serving and being served. It needs to be a two-way street of caring and being cared about. Sharing and listening. It can never be a one-way street. Friendships mean we share about our lives, but we're mindful to ask about their lives as well. There will be times when you may go through a trying circumstance and you need to unload your heart and your burden and your friend will be there to hear that and pray with you. But then there may be a time when they need to unburden their heart and you will be there for them. Unselfish to the point of personal cost. Jonathan wanted God's best for David, even when it cost him personally. We should unselfishly want God's best for our friends. Sometimes what's best for someone else will cost us something. People who use friendships to get something for themselves constantly, they don't understand the meaning of friendship. Some of the dearest treasure of friendship isn't what you get, it's what you give. Jonathan was a great man and he was a great friend and he was willing to serve God's purposes in David's life even at his own expense. I want to just close with a couple of practical thoughts as we kind of wrap up this thing about friendship. I know that friendship is, we started the service last week talking about loneliness. Loneliness is a bit of an epidemic right now. Um, and it's not, it's not good. But COVID didn't create loneliness. COVID did not create isolation. It, it brought it to a new level, but it was already epidemic levels. And some of the loneliest places in the world are, are, are in crowds. You can be in a crowd of people and lonely. I remember um, a baptismal service we had. Well, it was a baptismal service slash barbecue at a friend's house on Long Island place was packed with the you know the church and we did the bar the baptisms and now we've got people over here talking we've got people grilling burgers we've got people in the swimming pool we've got people all over it's just you, you know barely you know three feet between everybody and all of a sudden I see a friend Andy Firmani jump the fence and jump into the water and I'm like what is going he was talking to me and all of a sudden he just runs jumps the fence jumps into the water I'm like did I say something wrong <laughs> He saw in a, a pool full of crowded people that somebody was drowning. 
this guy started walking, couldn't swim, started walking, started walking, suddenly hit the deep end, went down like a rock. He would come up spluttering, go down, and nobody saw him except Andy Firmani, who was in a conversation 30 feet away and a chain link fence between. And he w jumped in there and helped him out. You can drown with loneliness in the midst of a crowd. So I want to just encourage you, if, that's, if you're struggling with loneliness, don't wait till you have a crisis to develop friendships. Put yourself in context where relationships can blossom into friendships and friendships can grow closer. So here are just a few thoughts. There are levels of friendships, and that's okay. You're going to be closer to some than you are to others. But you can still have dear friends who are not super close. And those, you can't have 50 close friends. I don't think anybody can have, you know, 50 close friends. You wouldn't have the time. Jesus had his 12, then he had his three. But you can easily have 50 friends that you care about or more. And we can be friendly to complete strangers. So he who would have friends must himself be friendly. But don't, don't worry the fact that there is going to be a draw to some. You're just going to, David and Jonathan connected with each other. That's going to happen. Don't feel guilty about that. It's natural that we resonate with some people. And they might, it might be for any number of reasons. Second thing I want to share, um, kind of getting off the list here, but choose friends who strengthen your hand in God. Um, choose friends who strengthen your hand in God, who encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Um, we talked last week, there are bad friendships so where somebody is dragging you away from God, dragging you down, influencing you in the wrong direction. Listen, love them, pray for them, be a friend to them, but don't let them be the influencer in your life. Pull back. Choose close friends who strengthen your hand in God. But listen, that is so... Uh, there, was, there have been times in my life, so many times, when my thinking and my attitude were beginning to spiral down. Has that ever happened to you? And you begin to, maybe something triggers it, maybe something hits you, some client, you know, problem or burden or whatever, and you start thinking downward and you're spiraling downward and your, your heart's going downward, maybe like David's was as he's in the wilderness, you know, and running for his life. And... And someone, my wife, friend, or a meeting and with other brothers and sisters in Christ has just uplifted my thoughts and gotten me out of that negative echo chamber. We all have echo chambers, but somebody has spoken into it, and I leave there with my perspective uplifted in God word. So I want to encourage you, choose friends who strengthen your hand in God. Choose friendships Good friendships require grace and forgiveness. You're not going to get a good friendship that doesn't require, at points, grace and forgiveness. Because you're going to mess it up and they're going to mess it up at times. I just thought this morning, um, um, Janice and I have some very dear friends 
And I just remembered this morning, like I, I don't even think about this, but there have been a couple times in our friendship where tempers flared. Tempers flared between us. And hard things were spoken. And wounds were made. And that's the point where often people burn the friendship. That's the point. It's like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. We'll get a real friend. But those moments are going to come. By the way, they come in marriage too. If you're married, you know that. But that's the point where you can press through to a sweeter place in your friendship. So often it's when people jettison is when things are the potential for it being deeper and better. And that's why, that's why there's some who do not experience deeper friendships because they jettison those moments. Good friendships require grace and forgiveness. I want to encourage you, church. You know, God puts us together as a church, as a pastor. You knew this was coming. But I want to encourage you to put yourself in context, not just in the church, because the church isn't this. The church is us. It's people. But put yourself in context where you can develop friendships. Listen, going to a community group does not guarantee you're going to have friends. Going to a men's breakfast or some other kind of meeting or coming to a work day is not going to guarantee that you have friends, but it's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. I want to close, well, not completely close. I want to semi-close with this encouragement for us to add. Um, if, if this is something that you're like, ah, I'm struggling with this, I just want to, I want to encourage you, please ask for prayer. Please ask for help. Please get involved. Please, you know, don't sit on the sidelines. I want, to, uh, I want to encourage all of us to ask this question. This is a great self-awareness question because I think a lot of times we are not aware of ourselves in the same way that we're aware of other people. Here's the question. Am I the kind of friend I'd like to have? Am I the kind of friend... I'd like to have. You know why that's such a good question? Because if somebody likes to control people, they never want to be controlled. So they'd never want themselves as a friend. So whatever our thing is, if we're if we dominate relationships, We never want to be dominated. In other words, we all have blind spots. Asking that question, if I were doing to me what I'm doing to others, would I like it? And be honest. And God might use that to help us see blind spots in our lives. Now the close. Jesus said, we are his friends. I love that so much. Jesus said, you are my friends. But hold on. He didn't say that. That, that stops a little too early. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command. All right, Jesus, give me the list. 
get up and pray three hours every day, never miss a Sunday in church, whatever, wear certain clothes. What's the list, Jesus, of your commands? He says in John 15, 17, this is my command, love each other. That's the list, love each other. And do you see what Jesus is doing? He's establishing a relational circle of friendship and love. He is our friend who laid down his life for us on the cross to pay for our sins. But more than that, to reconcile us to God and to one another. And then we are his friend if we love one another. So it's kind of like you're my friend, and you're my friend. Now you need to be friends with each other. You can't be enemies with each other. And this is the heart of the gospel. Because Jesus didn't come to establish a list of rules or religion. He came to establish relationships, first with us and our God, and then with one another. So knowing Jesus as our friend is so precious, but it's also challenging, and it's meant to be. Jesus doesn't leave us the option, brothers and sisters, of just me and Jesus. I'm just going to me and Jesus it. He doesn't leave us that option. The, the minute we say it's just me and Jesus, we're basically saying it's just me. Because Jesus says, I'm bound out. Because you are my friend if you do what I command. This is my commandment, that you love one another that challenges us as his disciples to build relational connections and grow in love and friendship and thank god he forgives us and he helps us and we mess up but we are to be committed to that so we need to work at relationships and friendships for our own benefit for the benefit of others and to obey jesus and to be his friend and to bring glory to god and those are some pretty good reasons for us to keep at it, church. So let's together aim to grow in this area for the glory of God and for the good of his church. And when we fall and fail, let's find a friend to pick us up. And when someone else falls and fails, let's be the friend to pick them up. And that reminds me of a good scripture for us to close this morning with. If Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse nine, or chapter four, verse nine and ten. Two, be two people are better than one because together they have a good reward for their hard work. If one falls, the other can help his friend get up. But how tragic it is for the one who is alone when he falls. There is no one to help him get up. Father, thank you so much this morning for friendship. We know that friendship is dear to your heart. And we know that when Jesus says, I call you my friends, it is the greatest treasure that we should be called friends of God, children of God. Thank you, Jesus, so much. Father, I pray for each of our hearts, but I pray particularly for those in this room or online who are struggling with loneliness, who feel disconnected, who feel isolated, 
who are struggling relationally, maybe going through a hard time relationally with somebody, would you give them grace? Would you give them grace? Would you speak to their heart? A word that both encourages and challenges. Lord, we don't want to stay where we are relationally. We want to grow. Wherever we're at, we want to grow. Help us to do that. Help us to be more loving. Help us to shoot straight with love and grace. Help us to forgive when we're hurt. Help us to humble ourselves when pride begins to eat away at a relationship. Help us, Father. Help us, because you're our great friend. Help us to love one another. Help us as a church. <clears throat> and help us to reach out to others that we might be that for them as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a beautiful Memorial Day weekend.